What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. This is episode 236. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Twitter and Facebook for the latest updates. Very excited uh, to be back with you folks this week. A lot of stuff to get into. Don't want to waste too much time here. Uh, at the beginning, but you may have noticed on our social channels that, uh, or on our Facebook page, I should say, posted a uh, picture of uh, Matt Plew's seats for when he went to uh, March Madness this past weekend, went to uh, some games on Friday and some games yesterday. So um, if you guys want to check that out on Facebook, you can. Um, also, uh, if you haven't listened to last week's Guest Friday, you can go do that. Matt and I recorded... Um, or put that out uh, last Tuesday, you know, as kind of a pre-March Madness uh, episode. So if you'd like to go listen to that and you haven't, you can. Um, you know, I think at this point it might be a little bit outdated as, you know, we recorded pre-tournament and there's a lot of crazy things that happened um, over the last couple of days uh, with the tournament. So, you know, get our thoughts on that. So that was uh, fun to do. New guest Friday this week, returning guest. We're talking Patriots with all the free agent stuff. And I think that that's where we're going to start this week um, on the podcast. So, you know, uh, we when we recorded last Monday, it was day one of the tampering period. So, you know, teams and players were allowed to start negotiating. That went on for the first two days. And, you know, the Patriots were maybe not as active as some of the other teams. And, you know, naturally parts of the fan base were um, not pleased with that and, you know, thought that the Patriots were, you know, behind the eight ball, so to speak. Um, You know, the Patriots did make some moves during that period, you know, contrary to popular belief, but, you know, that honestly doesn't really matter now. Um, But I will just say, you know, for God's sake, people were putting out articles and were tweeting things on day two of the tampering period people were already saying oh the patriots are you know behind the eight ball they haven't done anything you know and it just is like they did do some things they re-signed some key free agents so it kind of was annoying to listen to people act like they didn't do anything um you know they signed some of their own guys. You know, they signed Jonathan Jones, key free agent, you know, probably one of the most important free agents that they had this offseason. So they locked him up, but, you know, getting depth on the offensive line all of a sudden, you know, doesn't count for anything. So, you know, it just was frustrating to listen to. And people are still, I think, unfortunately, banging that drum at this point, even though they've made plenty of moves, you know, after the tampering period and, you know, last week made some moves, signed some players, but, you know, you know how it goes around these parts, you know, people always got to find something to complain about, you know, first it was, oh, the Patriots aren't being urgent enough. They're not spending enough money. Then it was, they're spending too much money on on the wrong people. And then it's like, they're spending too much money on special teams. You know, it's just like, here's what happened. 
is the Patriots had areas of need that they needed to improve upon this offseason. And they've honestly kind of done that. So I kind of guess I'm confused where this is all coming from that, you know, oh, they're not signing the sexiest free agents. So they must not be doing anything. You know, it's just this nonsense of this idea that, you know, they don't spend enough money. But then when they do, oh, they're not spending it the right way. You know, it's just stuff that, like, I think we've all had to listen to for years. And this is even when the Patriots are winning Super Bowls. This is not anything new for people that think that this is new because Brady's not here. Oh, no, this has been going on for a very long time. So I think I kind of just wanted to address that part because... It's really been bothering me because I think, you know, the Patriots do things a certain way. And I think that people get upset by it. And that's, I, I, I guess it's, it's legitimate, but it's just like, you know, the way that they approach free agency is the reason why they, they've been successful for so long. Because they don't jump out and sign guys to you know, massive deals that are going to cripple them financially. You know, they've never been a team that does things like that. So, you know, I also just think this is a free agent class that isn't very strong. You consider this free agent class to others in the past, it's really not that strong. So it kind of makes sense that the Patriots didn't, you know, go overboard. And this isn't to say that they didn't spend any money because they did. And they've brought in some guys that they think are going to help. Um, so taking a look at some of the free agent guys, you know, with the offensive line, that was kind of the first area that the Patriots um, addressed. Brought in Calvin Anderson, who actually was an undrafted rookie that was brought into camp with the Patriots in 2019. Um, but he has experience on um, the offensive line. has been a spot starter at left tackle. Um, and a swing back up during his three seasons with the Broncos, um, according to Mike Dussault from the uh, Patriots website. So, you know, that was kind of their first outside free agent, you know, not the sexiest thing, but giving depth at that at that tackle spot, which I've written about at length um, at Musket Buyer. So that was, you know, relief. And then Riley Reef, obviously, guy that's been around forever. He's 34, but... Started 10 games for the Bears last year, played in all 17 games, had previously played with the Lions, the Vikings, and the Bengals. So a solid guy. You know, I'm curious about what this means for their offensive line. I have a theory that the Patriots may put him at left tackle. They rotate Trent Brown to the right side, have Trent Brown back on the right side, and you know, they have Riley Reef at the left side. They draft someone at left tackle. That person competes with Reef for the starting job, you know, in his training camp. That's what I think is going to happen. So I really like both of those guys. You know, I think it's smart. You know, you go into the offseason, I think, emphasizing offensive line, which I think they've done already. You know, hiring Adrian Clem, bringing in two offensive tackles, guys who are experienced in this league. So there you go. There's one area that the Patriots indeed 
you know, I think improved. You know, then kind of the... I think that... I'm trying to just find the right words for this, so... Obviously, the Patriots deciding to let uh, Jacoby Myers go and sign with the Raiders. You know, three years, 11 million. I think it was like 21 million guaranteed, you know, which I think had some people, you know, concerned. And, you know, I think for me, I was, I think initially seeing the terms of that deal, I think it was really just like, oh, okay, you know, that was something very reasonable. Um, but I think the decision to go and sign Smith-Schuster, I think, has a lot to do with yard after the catchability. You know, I think a lot of Jacoby's receptions last year, or really, you look at all of his receptions, you know, a lot of a lot of his catches are, you know, he makes the catch, makes one move, goes down, you know, makes the catch, gets tackled immediately. You know, he's a very good receiver, very sure-handed, you know, a guy that's been Max go-to guy for the first two years of his career. But I don't think as someone that, you know, is is capable of making a lot of guys miss, you know, breaking tackles, you know, running for a lot of extra yardage after you make the catch. And I think that that's the primary reason why the Patriots went with Juju Smith-Schuster as kind of a you know, replacement, if you will. Um, I think that the Patriots with Bill O'Brien running the offense this year are trying to emphasize guys that are strong after the catch, you know, and I think really playing into max strengths as a quarterback, which is accuracy, putting the ball right on guys. And I think letting those guys make plays after the catch because you know, Mac may not have all these great physical gifts, but it's like you rely on your playmakers to break tackles, to make plays after the catch. And I think that's what they're trying to do with the pass catchers in particular. Um, and I think also with the move for Jasicki, or Kasicki, I should say, um, bringing in a tight end that has the ability to be a an absolute beast in the red zone, a guy that has really good speed, you know, but also is a playmaker or is a mismatching playmaker, someone that the Patriots can line up at a traditional tight end spot or they line him up like a wide receiver. And I think getting another player that is athletic after the catch is going to make the offense run a lot more smoothly. So I really like what they're doing. You know, James Robinson, I think, is a very good low-key addition because he's someone that can help spell Ramondre Stevenson, but he's also a great receiving back, which I think the Patriots really lacked at times last year. So I think that, you know, all these deals are very team-friendly. You know, Robinson... Kisicki, I think Kisicki was a one-year deal. Johnson, or Robinson, a two-year. Guys that I think are going to help this offense run a lot smoother. And Juju Smith-Schuster, yes, you know, I guess, does have 
you know, the contract was the same with Jacoby Myers, but Smith-Schuster is getting, I think, $16 million guaranteed, so it's a little less money. And I think, you know, you look at the salaries that he'll be making, it's not, it's not, it's not, you know, overly expensive. So, you know, I see some people saying that, oh, you know, why would you give him the same deal? It's not exactly the same deal, you know, and I do think that, yes, you know, Jacoby Myers was a big part of your team over the last couple of years and, you know, you would hope was kind of getting into kind of a little bit of a leadership role, but, you know, it's the nature of the business and I think the Patriots had to realize that, okay, you know, yes, Jacoby was a big part of our offense, but, you know, and I've, I've seen other people make this comment um, on, on social media that a lot of people have clamored that, you know, you need this wide receiver room to be improved. You know, you need to get more, you need to get more dynamic in that area. And, you know, the comment is, well, if people wanted that, bringing back Jacoby Myers, that brings back, you know, four-fifths of your receiving group from last year. And so it's like, how much better do you really expect them to be if they're going to bring back the same players? So, you know, obviously it's still early with the wide receiver group. You know, there still could be a trade that's in play. There could be, you know, a draft pick that the Patriots look at. So, you know, it's not a finished product yet, but I like that there is a, you know, emphasis on the yard after the catch ability, because I think that that's what they need with this offense. They need to play to the quarterback's strengths, get guys that can make guys miss, break tackles, and move the chains, you know. So I really like all the additions that they've made on offense. Uh, Chris Board was brought in late last week um, as a special team special team player, I think, had played with Detroit previously. Um, so the Patriots brought him in. Uh, they also re-signed Cody Davis the other day and Joe Cardona. So the Patriots, you know, clearly putting an emphasis on special teams, which they need to because they lost a couple games last year, you know, in which special teams was an issue. Um, and I think... You know, a lot of people want to make a stink about this, that, you know, they're spending, I guess, too much money on special teams. You know, whatever that means, you know, Joe Cardona, by the way, is only making about, you know, it's something crazy that it's like, yes, they gave him a new contract, but he's not making that much more than, you know, other guys that I think it's something like, for the vet veteran minimum for, or like his contract is only a certain amount above the veterans minimum for a punter. So it's really, or for a long snapper, I should say. So it's really not that expensive as much as it may seem like. Um, so I just, here's my thing is I understand people being upset that they're, you know, spending money on special teams, but it's like, this is a problem area for you last year. This was a this was an area that arguably cost you two games last year. You know, if the Patriots don't allow both of those kickoff returns 
against the Bills, they honestly could have won that game. You know, and you look at that Minnesota game, allowing a kick return touchdown, they very easily could have won that game as well. So I think I'm just getting frustrated with people because here are areas that we all watched this team struggle at last year, whether it was special teams, offensive line, wide receiver, whatever position. And here are the Patriots upgrading or making an emphasis at these spots that they're coming in and saying, these were problem areas for us last year. We need to come in and fix them. And it kind of just blows my mind that people are getting so caught up with how much money they're spending when it's like you should just be looking at here are problem areas. They're addressing them. And it's like, you know, you have to have a roster. You can't just be saying like, oh, guys on defense can play on special teams. Well, that's what happened last year. And that kind of led to some problems, if you recall. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's they're improving positions that they had issues at last year. And so I think that's just kind of my thing about the special teams thing is, yes, you want to bring in special teams talent or retain it because you know you you can't have the special teams group that you had last year you know allowing the kickoff return touchdowns and things like that you need to have good special teams and the patriots have always emphasized that and you know yeah it was disappointing to see that last year slip and so what they're doing is you know, to me, leaving no stone to turn that we're going to improve this unit. And that's bringing in Chris Board. That's re-signing, you know, Cardona and Davis. You know, I'll be curious to see what they do in the draft because I think they could use a punter, you know, releasing Jake, Jake Bailey last week. You know, so they, there's definitely room for that position in the draft or, you know, free agent punter, I guess. I haven't looked at the guys who are available, but... I think just looking at some of the other guys, um, Mac Wilson they brought back, Daniel Equale brought back, Jabril Peppers, Carl Davis, uh, Raekwon McMillan, um, and then just a couple offensive linemen, James Ferentz we heard about, uh, Connor McDermott as well, uh, Matt Slater's back. So I think... The good news is on defense is the Patriots are retaining a lot of talent from last year, you know, and a lot of talent from the group that was really good for them last year. So, you know, really pleased to see some of those guys back um, on defense. You know, clearly the some of the departures I think are going to hurt um, in terms of the room. You know, I think that Brian Hoyer has always been a solid leader and a guy that you like having in the locker room, you know, Myers, I think to it, to an extent. Um, and of course, Devin McCordy, who announced his retirement uh, last week. So, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting because I think there's a lot of, you know, communication and leadership that you're losing with some of these guys that have, that have, that have moved on. So, 
you know, it'll be a big opportunity for some of the guys to really step up and step into a leadership role. Um, some of the other guys that are still free agents that have yet to be uh, signed, Nelson Aguilar, uh, Damian Harris, Isaiah Wynn. Um, those are players, though, that I wouldn't expect to be back. Um, and I think especially with the Patriots signing James Robinson, I think you see Damian Harris go elsewhere. Um, Matt Slater was also returning. I think I mentioned that. Um, so I think, you know, overall, it's been a solid offseason. The Patriots have brought in some good players. And I think people also have to remember offensively, this is going to be a different offense this year. You finally have some experience on the offensive side. And I think that people might be getting caught up and thinking, oh, this offense, it's going to be the same offense last year and they're not going to be very good. But I do think that, you know, the emphasis on yard after the catch is going to make this offense a lot better. And I do think that, yes, clearly they could be in the market for another move, you know, whether that's a trade for a Jerry Judy or a DeAndre Hopkins, I still think that that is certainly in play. Does it need to happen right now? No, I don't think so. You know, you look at A.J. Brown, for example, that went from Tennessee to the Eagles last offseason. He was traded during the draft. So I think, you know, certainly there's something that could happen between now and the draft. Are there other free agent moves they make? I think so. Um, but I think they're on the right track with the offense. Um, and I'm very excited to see, you know, what the plan is going to be with Henry and Gesicki, you know, how they're going to use both of those guys. You know, James Robinson, how does he factor in, you know, hoping he can be healthy. What does he bring to the ground game? What does he bring to the receiving game? Um, and I think Juju, you kind of know what you're going to get from him. You know, as a guy that I think still has incredible talent, you know, I think is a little bit more dynamic than Jacoby Myers and, you know, better athleticism, better speed. And I think you're going to see, you're going to see this offense be able to move the ball a whole lot better and be able to do it consistently. Um, and I think with the addition of Gesicki, I think I briefly mentioned that this is going to help your red zone offense. You know, thinking about some of the big targets that you're going to have in the red zone with Henry, Gesicki, you know, Devontae Parker, whoever else they may add. You know, James Robinson will be a threat down there as well. So I think it's all about building an offense where multiple guys can hurt you. Um, and so I think that that's what we're seeing. So I'm very pleased with what they've done in the offseason because I think there was a lot of talk that, you know, there was going to be some urgency with the team's free agent activity. And I think we've seen that, you know, whether or not people think that they did it as quickly as they as they should have, you know, is, is up for debate, as, as silly as that sounds, that, you know, people were complaining two days into the tampering period that there wasn't enough urgency. And it's like, they've improved the offense. And I think that that's the, that's the bottom line. And they're not done. I don't think they're done either. So, again, very pleased with what they've done. We'll take a look 
um, and other teams' free agent activity uh, later in the podcast. But um, again, very pleased with uh, the Patriots. So we are now going to get into the Bruins, uh, kind of a an interesting last kind of week plus for this team. Um, so when we last spoke, the Bruins were kind of in the middle of a rut. Um, and it kind of continued on their road trip, but uh, the Bruins bounced back later this week with a win against Winnipeg. Um, and then wins this weekend against the Minnesota Wild and the Buffalo Sabres. So, you know, clearly last week, I think the loss to the Blackhawks was kind of a little bit of a low point for this team. You know, I think for the first time, I felt the Bruins were not playing consistently for a full 60 minutes, you know, and you kind of hadn't seen that for a couple games. You know, I think both of those games against Detroit, you know, that game against Edmonton recently, um, and then the game against Chicago, obviously, you know, four games in a row that the Bruins didn't really play a complete effort or didn't play a complete game, didn't play a complete 60. And then clearly, you know, that all changed in Winnipeg. Bruins win over the Jets. They win, beat the Wild on Saturday, beat the Sabres yesterday. So, you know, I was very impressed with Thursday's win because the Bruins were coming into, coming into Winnipeg against a Jets team that is desperate. You know, they are in the thick of the wild card chase in the Western Conference and really need all the points that they can get. And Jeremy Swayman stood in his stood in his stood on his head in this game and was unbelievable. And you know, made me chuckle that there was some comment that I saw on Twitter that, you know, someone said that he wasn't an NHL goalie, which is just complete nonsense. You know, doesn't really even make any sense, to be honest. But he was a guy that stood on stood on his head on Thursday night. And the Bruins played great out of the gate, getting two goals in the first period. You know, Frederick getting that goal 50 seconds in. You know, the Bruins really got back to setting the tone in this game. And it wasn't perfect. You know, I think that there were definitely some issues in that game that, you know, Swayman really had to bail them out, but he was unbelievable in this game. And I think as you've seen him play the last two games in particular, he's been on top of his game and really has been locked in. So very pleased with that effort Thursday night. Um, Saturday afternoon, I think to me, is one of the best games that they've played in weeks. Um, They were just all over the place in this game. I think that you know, they were able to, you know, weather kind of an early storm. You know, yeah, there were some uh, some calls that went their way, I think, in terms of uh, some goals being overturned due to offsides. I think that one of them was uh, very clearly an offside. You know, that was, I think that was that first goal um, that could have made it two to nothing. And then they had another goal later, which... I think it was a little bit more debatable, but this is a team that I think played excellent hockey um, in this game. You know, stood up to the wild, trying to be physical, and, you know, 
I think just play their style of hockey in the third period after Minnesota cut that lead to one. Um, but I just was so impressed with this team's ability to play well against a good team, against a team that I think had points in four, 14 straight games, and the Bruins were able to snap that streak. So, you know, just very pleased with the effort in that game against a really good team. Um, you know, Pasternak, Bergeron, multiple point games. You know, Allmark was outstanding, especially shorthanded. So uh, just a really good effort in this game. Um, and then the Bruins made it look easy yesterday against the Sabres. Uh, 7 nothing. You know, Swayman was really good again. Bruins had seven different goal scorers. That's kind of been, that's kind of been the story for them all season that they've had, you know, so much balanced scoring in some of these games. So, you know, I think we're also getting to that point this season that you're going to be seeing guys take some games off. I think that was the case for uh, Dmitry Orlov yesterday, who took the game off um, as kind of just a maintenance day. The Bruins sat David Krejci yesterday. Um, I think that that was actually more bumps and bruises related than it was rest. Um, but nonetheless, important for him to get a game off. I think you're going to see Bergeron probably get games off here and there because I do think that the schedule has them playing a lot of back-to-backs uh, from now until the end of the regular season. So I think you could certainly see, you know, Bergeron, Marsh, and, you know, Lindholm. I think you saw him actually sit out a game earlier this week. Um, and so you're going to see guys take games off, which I think is important. You know, I think, you know, the position that the Bruins are in right now is great because they can be able to sit guys down here and there. You know, they've built such a good record that, you know, it's not like they are in a different position. It's not like they're, you know, battling for a wild card spot and they need their best guys to play every single night. So, you know, one of the luxuries of being this far ahead of everyone in the standings that, you know, you can treat these last few games as, or last few weeks as, you know, time to, to get right make sure your game is the best it's going to be and giving guys games off here and there. So, you know, very pleased that the Bruins have kind of found their game again, have won three in a row and, you know, look every bit the team that has, you know, set the pace for the NHL this year. So um, it is going to be interesting. Bruins have, I think, some kind of interesting games this week. Um, but I think that, you know, as I heard Ty Anderson say on a podcast last week, Bruins have a back-to-back this weekend coming up, Tampa Bay and Carolina, and that may honestly be kind of the, those last two games that the Bruins really, you know, go all in for. And then after that, you might see guys resting, you know, more often because the Bruins will hopefully at that point, you know, be closer and closer to you know, getting that number one seed throughout the playoffs, which I think is kind of the most important thing. You know, yes, yes, the President's Trophy is the President's Trophy. And yeah, the team that wins it doesn't always win the cup. I I get it. But I think that just getting that home ice is going to be so important. And, 
just getting that guaranteed, I think, is going to be really important. But I think, really, once that's clinched, then you're going to see guys getting games off here and there. You might see guys from Providence getting a chance to get into some games at the very end of the season. But um, I am curious to see how they, you know, come back from this road trip. Got home games against Ottawa, Montreal, and Tampa this week. Um, And then they'll have a back-to-back with Tampa at home Saturday. And then in Carolina on Sunday. So I think that there were some reports, or I think that, you know, we saw Taylor Hall practicing in Brighton. Maybe it was yesterday or the day before, you know, during the road trip. So, you know, signs could point to him returning at some point, you know, although I don't think that, or I think that the coaching staff has been a little cagey with that, not really saying much about him. So, you know, I think that he could be eligible to return Tuesday against Ottawa, you know, as he's been out for at least 10 games, which I think is the max or the minimum amount of time you have to be out for if you go on long-term injury reserve, which he was on. So, you know, I think you could see him return. I think the thing I'm curious about is where does he slot into the lineup when he returns? Because if you've been watching recently, you know, Frederick Coyle, Tyler Bertuzzi have been really, really good and have really been on top of their game. Bertuzzi, I think every game that he plays with the Bruins, he looks more and more comfortable. And I think that getting him more and more comfortable is huge. And I think that getting him into kind of a defined role is also important. You know, I know that he played second line yesterday with Krejci being out, but I think you know, having him play with Coyle and Frederick is is huge, and I think it builds chemistry with those three guys. The reason why I say all that is, presumably that is where Taylor Hall is going to be slotted in when he returns. Um, and I think, you know, unfortunately it may look like Trent Frederick could be the odd man out on that line if the Bruins, you know, choose to go with, Hoy- with Coyle, Hall, and Bertuzzi on that third line, and you know, personally, I hate to see Trent Frederick get bumped out of the lineup based on the way that he's playing. You know, I think that he is easily playing the best hockey of his career. And, you know, 16 goals, 12 assists, you know, outside chance that he could score 20 goals this year, which is just wild to consider, you know, thinking about where he was at the end of last season with the Bruins kind of not really sure what they were doing with with a guy like that, but he's been great. And I think, you know, it just it just is going to be interesting to see if Hall does come back, if he plays with Coyle and Bertuzzi, where does Frederick go? Does he get bumped down to the fourth line? I would really hate to see him, you know, get bumped up to the ninth floor because it's just he's playing so well. And he's a guy that you want to have in the lineup every single game. So that's going to be curious. You know, I think that, you know, it may depend on Nick Felino's health, um, because I think if he is, you know, back and ready when the playoffs start, he's a guy you want to have in the lineup. And, you know, Nosek is going to be starting and, you know, Hathaway probably will as well. So, you know, I think, you know, you could get into a situation where 
Felino and Frederick are switching off. But I do think that once Hall comes back, I think that, you know, Felino I think is pretty clearly not going to be playing the rest of the regular season. So, you know, Frederick still would be able to get consistent ice time. Um, and then you'd have, you know, Greer and Lauko kind of being your extras. Um, I really like the way that Lauko plays. You know, he's a guy that I think should certainly get into some playoff games because I think he kind of has had this uncanny ability to draw penalties. I think he's some some stat where he's like top 10 in the league in penalties drawn for six, per 60 minutes. So, you know, I think that I like the way that he plays. AJ Greer always like his game. Um, but I think the good news is the Bruins, you know, these are good problems to have. Um, I think something else that was brought to my attention is that, you know, some of the defensemen the Bruins are playing and rotating in and out. The Bruins haven't really found someone that stood out because they think you haven't seen you haven't seen Connor Clifton play at the exact same level he has since Orlov was acquired and the Bruins are kind of rotating guys, you know, kind of say the same thing for Forbert. So, you know, I think the Bruins need one of those guys to kind of separate themselves from the other guys so that they kind of have a defined idea of what their, what their six defensemen are going to be like in the playoffs. You know, Forbert, unfortunately, I think blocked a shot the other day. So I think he might be he might be out for a few games. I'm not totally sure, but, you know, I think Clifton, we saw a little bit of it yesterday, you know, laying the wood and some big hits. Um, but I think the Bruins really want one of, you know, him, Grizzly, and Forbert to really separate themselves so that one of them is in the lineup, you know, game one of the playoffs. Um, I think that there are pros and cons to each of those guys, you know, Grizzlick's a great puck mover. He's a great pair with McAvoy. You know, Forbert, we all know what he can do on the penalty kill. Was great in the playoffs last year with blocking shots. You know, Clifton is a guy that just plays a great energy. And I think that has been a lot more controlled this season um, in terms of years past. So it's kind of interesting to see what is going to happen between now and the playoffs. You know, I think the Power play has been a little bit better. Bruins have gotten a couple goals uh, recently, so they're not in that, you know, five for 50 slump or whatever it was. But that is something the Bruins need to have working at 100% efficiency entering the playoffs. Um, Because I think, you know, I know that a lot of people say, yes, five on five is very important in the playoffs, but you have to be excellent on the special teams as well. You know, the postseason more and more is kind of becoming more of a special teams game that it's like you have to be excellent power play and penalty kill if you're going to have a chance to win the cup. So, you know, Bruins penalty kill is usually at the top of the league, uh, but the power play, I think, needs to be more consistent. You know, I think that sometimes they get a little too stationary past the puck too much, but I think... It's certainly an area that you want them to you want them to improve at this point um, because they think you don't want to be going into a playoff series, you know, being concerned about where you're going to get 
where you're going to get goals from on the power play. Um, you know, I think the Bruins have been one of the one of the, if not the best team, uh, five on five this year. So we, you know, have an idea. We have an idea of what they can do there, um, but I think making sure that you're not, you know, running the same stuff on the power play that, you know, the Bruins are doing more than just, you know, setting up Pasternak for, you know, those one-timers that he's so good at, um, or setting up Bergeron, kind of that that bumper position, um which is kind of like, if you think about, if you think about when the Bruins are on the power play, and you know you have the two guys at the top, typically Pasternak and you know Lindholm or McAvoy, and then you know DeBrusque is set up in front of the net or to the side of the net, um, and then Bergeron's kind of like in the middle of the ice, and I think sometimes. Or especially recently, other teams know that the Bruins go to, you know, both Pasternak and Bergeron, and they're set up in a way that, in a way that they're kind of expecting that to happen. So, you know, I think. For the Bruins to win a Stanley Cup, the power play needs to be strong. You know, this is not a this is not 2011 that you could get away with having a very bad power play. You know, you're not going to be able to win a series if you don't score a power play goal, which the Bruins did in 2011. If you don't, if you don't remember, you know, Bruins were the first team ever, I believe, to win a playoff series without scoring a power play power play goal. So the power play is going to have to be important for them to win. So um, as I mentioned with the goaltending, you know, Swayman has really figured it out lately. And, you know, Olmark is Olmark. It's unbelievable the season that he's having. And it's like you kind of at a certain point, you run out of adjectives that describe his game. So uh, be curious to see how the Bruins do this week. You know, curious to see if Hall draws back into the lineup at some point. Um, you know, but again, I said that, or as I said again, the coaching staff is uh, not exactly being, or no, I shouldn't say that, but like they're being cagey about whether he's going to return or not, not really, you know, making any type of definitive statements. But he has been skating, which is a good thing, so... I think conventional wisdom would tell you that, okay, you know, he'll probably be back on the ice soon. Is it this week? Is it next week? You know, who knows? We'll kind of find out. So I think that's going to do it for talking about the Bruins. We're going to get to the uh, Celtics, who continue to be a little up and down uh, with their play lately. So, you know, it's been a challenging uh, road trip to say the least Celtics complete the road trip tomorrow night in Sacramento Celtics have been two and two on this road trip with 
Um, a really disappointing loss to the Rockets last week. A couple wins against Minnesota and Portland. And then another disappointing loss to uh, the Jazz on Saturday, um, in which Grant Williams, you know, again tries to do too much and, uh, you know, tries to go up and score on one of the best NBA shot blockers this season um, in Walker Kessler. Um, so I just got to be honest, you guys, I'm starting to get a little concerned uh, with this team and just the way that they, you know, sometimes handle late game situations, especially recently. You know, you look at some of the losses that they've had that they've not been able to execute in crunch time or, you know, lose games because guys miss shots or guys make a mistake. And I think, you know, unfortunately, there are going to be a lot of these games in the playoffs where it's going to come down to a play or two. And, you know, it's interesting. We kind of saw both sides of, you know, Grant Williams in crunch time, in crunch time made a couple of big plays in Minnesota, you know, winning a jump ball, which, yeah, may or may not have been a may or may not have been an unfair jump, but nonetheless, he won the tip, got a big offensive rebound down the stretch in that game as well, and honestly, it was kind of the reason they came away with the win in Minnesota, and then, you know, unfortunately, you know, had a really good game in Utah. He made seven threes in that game, started for the first time in a few months, and really looked like he was figuring it out, but, you know, the Celtics... Just, just don't play well with leads, as we've seen all year. And, you know, somehow can't come out with the win. And, you know, the Celtics design a play for Jason Tatum. And Grant, you know, decides to take it to the basket as he thought he had a better look. But, you know, it's just... It's just disappointing that you see them, you know, losing games to teams that you know, are very clearly not as good as they are. And, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today that it just, you know, and I know that it's hard because you think about some of these Celtics teams years ago, you know, with the Isaiah Thomases and, the, you know, young Jalen Brown, young Jason Tatum, you know, Jay Crowder, Avery Bradley, those teams just, you know, grinded and, they just were so motivated, night in and night out, to give their best. They didn't always win every game. You know, they weren't world beaters. They were never a team that really was a legitimate NBA title contender. But they played hard every night. You never, never went into any game thinking, okay, you know, I don't know how they're gonna I don't know how they're gonna do against a weaker team. You know, they were a team that just competed. And I know that it's easy to say that because that was a team that didn't have legitimate expectations. You know, and this year's team has expectations and they have talent. They have way more talent than those teams ever did. And I think that, yeah, it is easy to not take your opponents seriously if you're way better than you were five years ago. But I don't know. You just would like for them to play harder a little bit more consistently and you know who knows it could be a road trip thing it could be a games that are so close toward the end of the season that guys are starting to look ahead 
and starting to think that these games don't matter. You know, the playoffs are what matter. And, you know, on one hand, it's a team that could surprise us and could roll through the early rounds of the playoffs and just be like, okay, playoffs are here, we're focused. But the the other side of that is this is dangerous, losing games like this, because you're losing ground to teams in the East. You know, the Celtics are looking at, you know, being a three seed right now, you know, tied with the Sixers, who have won eight or nine in a row, and, you know, a couple games behind the Bucks, but, you know, the number one seed may not be in play anymore. You may be looking at playing as a third seed, which I think, you know, if you're playing the sixth seed Brooklyn Nets, you would feel good about a playoff series against that team, but then you'd be looking at playing you know, not having home court in the second round, which, you know, a couple couple weeks ago, it was like, you know, you're guaranteed to get home court in the first two rounds. Now it's not a guarantee. So I think it's just, yeah, the dangerous part is, you know, this is a team that's not taking other teams seriously. They're not taking the game seriously. You know, they're losing games that they should not be losing. You know, it's just, yeah. And yeah, the danger of looking ahead to the playoffs is we don't need to take these games seriously. And if you don't, you could be opening up the playoffs as a three seed. You know, having to travel to Philadelphia for a second round series, which as much as the Celtics have beaten the Sixers this year, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy having to open up a series on the road. Um, and I do think that, you know, part of this recent, you know, slide, if you want to call it, you know, I really would consider going back to that Knicks loss in late, in late February. The Celtics, you know, I think including that game are five and six. You know, and they've not really been the same team, you know, post-All-Star break, you could say. But the Celtics did come out of the All-Star break winning two in a row. So I think that this is a team that just, they need to find that mindset of, you know, we're going to compete every single night. You know, we're not going to take opponents lightly. You know, we are going to treat these games as if they're playoff games. I know that's easier said than done, but this is a team that is now in a scramble to try to get home court in the second round, which is like something that was unheard of, was was absolutely unheard of a couple weeks ago. And now it's like, oh no, they, they are in... They're in a dogfight. So, you know, and I've, I've said it a million times, but it is mindset with this team. This is not a team that doesn't have the requisite talent, you know, even when they're not fully healthy. I understand that, you know, Rob's been missing for a couple, couple games and they really need him back. But, you know, Jason Tatum has got to get out of his three-point shooting slump. You know, I know that, we talked about this on the, the uh, mailbag a couple weeks ago that, you know, the, 
The numbers are not, you know, that bad if you look at it post-All-Star break, but the three-pointers, you just can't seem to make them. And um, I will say, though, that he is getting to the free-throw line. You know, some of the games recently, 16 free-throw attempts, 18 free-throw attempts, 14, you know, that's good. That you want to see him attacking. Um, I think the other thing that I wanted to talk about is the Celtics kind of continuing to go to Jason Tatum late in games, you know, and, and, and relying on him to make a shot at the end of games. And I understand that Jason's your best player. That's not a debate. You know, that's not something that I think we need to sit here and debate whether Jalen or Jason is better. Jason's the best player on this team. And you want your best player to be taking your taking your last shots. I think that's just kind of the easy thing. However, you know, I think that the Celtics do have, you know, two guys that are legit superstars in this league. And I think the Celtics need to be looking to Jalen Brown a little bit more often late in games. Um, you know, he's got that shot-making ability. Both guys do. This isn't to say that, you know, Jalen Brown's a better player or whatever, but I think the Celtics do need to start looking his way in final possessions to make plays and not, you know, relying on Jason every single time. And Jason has made his fair share of shots. He's missed his fair share of shots, but I think that just thinking about look, trying some things that are unpredictable. You know, I feel like some of the common denominators in some of the games recently is the Celtics are too predictable late in games and other teams figure it out. They know that they're going to Tatum and, you know, force him into a miss, double team or whatever, and the Celtics can't come up with a shot. Um, so I don't know. You know, I think it's, just one of those things, it's just how the game goes. And I think, you know, it's going to be a lot of these types of games in the playoffs, as I said previously. And I think you want to feel confident that this team can make the right plays in crunch time and, you know, do the things that are designed the way that they are and not, you know, guys thinking that they, you know, have a better look or trying to be the hero or things like that. Because that's not Celtics basketball. This team is at their best when they're making plays for each other. And, you know, you've seen that a little bit, you know, bits and pieces here and there since the All-Star break, but it's not been the same. And I think, again, it all starts with the mindset. And I think this is a team that just mentally they have to get right before the playoffs start. Because if they don't, you know, I might start sweating a first-round series against the Brooklyn Nets, a team that is not as good as the Celtics, but a team that if you do not take them seriously, they will beat you, as we saw a couple weeks ago. The Celtics were up 28 points on that team in the first half, and the Brooklyn Nets came back to beat them. So, you know, yes, they're not as talented, but, you know, that's not a team I want to see in the first round. Because you might have to sweat it out. You know, look, this is the same NBA playoffs that the 2008 Celtics, one of the best teams in franchise history, 
went to seven games against the Atlanta Hawks. Almost lost that series. And so it's just, if you don't want to take the Nets seriously, that's fine. But I got to tell you, this team needs to start taking their opponents seriously. um, Because this is not going to fly in the playoffs. You know, this is a fan base that we're not expecting anything less than going back to the Eastern Conference Finals. And if they're playing like this, I don't think they make it out of the second round. So, yeah, that's just me being blunt. But I think, you know, hopefully with Rob Williams' return, the Celtics can figure out a correct rotation um, and, you know, figure out, you know, the best way to be the best team. Figure out the best way to be the best version of themselves. Um, And I think that is being more resourceful and playing all the pieces that you have, you know, and not sitting guys out in fourth quarters, not sitting guys out for entire games. You know, it, it can't work like that. Grant Williams, as much as people want to dump on him, is a guy that needs to play more consistently. Derek White needs to play in the fourth quarter. Inexcusable that he didn't play in the fourth quarter against the Jazz, inexcusable. That cannot be allowed to happen. So I think it's just, I understand, again, narrowing her playoff rotation, but you need to use all the resources that you have. You know, and I know that Grant tries to do too much, but when he's not, he's a big-time player. He made seven threes the other night, and if the Celtics can just get him to simplify his game and just do that shoot corner threes be an annoying pest as a defender and that's it don't need you to be playing the hero in the last couple seconds of the game you know you give the ball to your best players Um, so you know we'll see what happens with this team Celtics got a tough Sacramento team tomorrow night Um, then they will return home against Indiana and San Antonio both teams that they need to take seriously. Um, So it'll be good for the Celtics to come home. Uh, Then believe it or not, we got a couple weeks and the regular season's over. So, you know, I think that that game against the Bucks is looming pretty large. Celtics have a game against the Sixers too, um, April 4th, that I think is going to be an important game as well. So I think... We're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Red Sox, who are continuing uh, spring training, seeing some positive signs from uh, some starting starting pitchers recently. You know, a uh, couple of guys that I think are going to be competing for uh, pitching rotation spots, at least to start the season, uh, Josh Winkowski, Carter Crawford. Uh, Both guys pitched very well over the weekend. Um, I think that Crawford, you know, Evan Greasing and I have talked about him quite a bit, is certainly someone that could start the season in the rotation with the Red Sox. I think not hopeful that Whitlock and Bayo are going to be ready for uh, opening day. They have been pitching, though, in spring training, which is a good sign, but it just may mean that they do not start the season um, healthy. So or on the active roster, I should say. So this Red Sox, I think, are going to be looking at both of them um, to grab rotation spots. You know, maybe Tanner, maybe Tanner Houck, 
been kind of off and on in spring uh, with his control and all that. But, you know, I think the Red Sox getting closer toward the end of spring training and I think really figuring out what the rotation is going to be. You know, Corey Kluber announced as the opening day starter. Chris Sale will go after him. So, you know, really it's after that. It's, I think it's it's Pavetta, most likely, that starts the year in the rotation in those last two spots. You know, presumably Crawford and Winkowski. You know, maybe Hauk in there as well. You know, until Bayo and Whitlock are healthy enough to start. So I'm curious to see how those two guys, Crawford and Winkowski, how they pitch the rest of spring. There's only nine games left, believe it or not. Uh, Red Sox play the Pirates today. Um, down in Fort Myers, and then, yeah, it's uh, a week from Thursday is the season opener in Baltimore, so uh, really looking forward to the season. Um, I think the Red Sox have had some things to be excited about in spring training. You know, some of the pitchers that have pitched well, uh, Kluber looks like he's almost ready, or he's, like, pretty much ready. Some guys in the lineup have have been I think hitting better. I think Adam Duvall started to get back into more of a rhythm. He's had some more hits recently. Um, That's one of the things I'm always paying attention to um, in spring training games. How do the regulars do? You know, Tristan Casas continues to hit well in spring training, which is good to see. I think that he's such an important player for this team this year um, because you you think about the guys who played first base last year, you really didn't get much production. And I think, you know, Tristan is a guy that I think a lot of people are excited to see what he does. I think there's a lot of pressure on him um, based on the way that first base was just a disaster for this team last year. And I think, you know, getting another power back is huge in this lineup because I think losing Bogarts, losing Martinez, you're going to have to look to some of the new guys to provide some offense, whether that's Duvall, whether that's Justin Justin Turner, you know, whether that's uh, Yoshida, you know. Don't know if he's necessarily going to be the power guy, um, but I think you're looking at those guys to really chip in and help that offense. Um, Because I think if they do, you're looking at a team that's going to be pretty good. You know, I know that there was a lot of you know, negativity about this team in the offseason going into spring training, but there's a lot of things to be excited about. And I also think, you know, the play of some of these guys in spring, you know, Tapia has been a topic of discussion a lot on this podcast. You know, I think he's a guy that should absolutely be a candidate to have a roster spot, you know, in that fourth fourth outfielder spot. Um, Because I think, honestly, like, He's been one of their best players in spring, and I think you want some excitement for this team. And I think the low expectations, it just always seems like the low expectation teams always do well around these parts. You know, whether it was 2021, whether it was 2013, you know, some of these years that, you know, you come into spring training not expecting anything, um, and this team surprises you. But I think this is a team that all goes well, they could be challenging for a playoff spot. 
you know, this is a team that could win 90 games. You know, if you can get a healthy Chris Sale and get a healthy Corey Kluber, I think really you take care of the rest of that. I think they're going to be fine. You know, I think that the Red Sox are certainly asking Devers to be really kind of the face of the franchise. Um, And, you know, I think that to this point he's been up to it, but things have changed. You know, you don't have some of the same leadership group that you had with Bogarts and Martinez. You know, a lot's going to fall on Rafi. And I think, you know, the great thing is the Red Sox have brought in some really good veteran leaders. Turner, you know, Kenley Jansen, you know, Kluber even. Guys who are proven veterans who have been or been around the game for so long and, you know, are bringing you know, more of a positivity to this team, you know, and I think you just want guys to have the right mindset. I think, you know, kind of switching sports, talking about baseball mindset, I think almost always you have a positive mindset, your team is going to do well. And I think, you know, even going back to someone like Bobby Dahlbeck, who, you know, had his major issues last year, last year, and I think, him kind of changing his mindset and his attitude that, you know, he's willing to do whatever it takes to help this team. I mean, he's playing shortstop. Like, never thought that he was capable of doing that. And he's been doing that in spring training. And I think if you just are, if you just have a positive mindset, you know, you can do really well. And I think, you know, baseball, to me, is such a mental game that you have to make sure that you're as positive as you can. Um, and I think, look, this is a team that's going to surprise some people. I really think so. And I think that they have a tremendous opportunity, you know, as I've said before, to start the season off on a, uh, a good note. You know, your first nine games are against teams that will not be playoff teams this year. You know, you really have a tremendous opportunity to get off to a hot start against some of these teams that, you know, you get off to a hot start that oftentimes, you know, helps you to start the season. Um, So curious to see, you know, how the rest of the rotation lines up. Have to think, you know, Pavetta's your number three, and then you got Winkowski and Crawford with Hauk possibly as kind of your extra guy, you know, the depth chart, or at least for me, I think that, or at least the starting lineup, I don't know what it's going to be, you know, batting order necessarily, but, you know, I think Reese McGuire most likely will be your everyday catcher, Casas at first, Arroyo at second, you know, Kike at shortstop with, you know, Dahlbeck who can play that position, Yu Chang can also play that position, um, and then Devers at third. You know, Yoshika, Yoshida, uh, Javon Verdugo in the outfield. Um, and then Turner most likely doing most of the DHing. So I think that that's what your lineup's going to look like. And then, you know, the bullpen, you know, you got Chris Martin, Richard Blyer, uh, Schreiber, Kenley Jansen, uh, Joely Rodriguez, I think, did suffer an injury the other day. So not sure about his availability. Um, and then Whitlock and. Bayo and Paxton don't think they start the year in the active roster, but 
certainly you could see some of those guys pitch um, this season. I mean, certainly. So, and look, I'm not gonna not gonna be too hopeful on this, but this is a team that could get Trevor Story back at some point in July or August. Do not be surprised. So, you know, I think certainly his return would be huge for this team, assuming that they are, you know, in the thick of things in July, which a bold take, I think they will be. I think they will certainly be um, involved in the playoff chase um, at at that point, you know, whenever he returns. So I think we're going to move on to the Revolution. Another win for this team. Uh, Gustavo Bow with a great goal in the 52nd minute on Saturday night. Revs beat Nashville 1-0 and are in uh, second place in the Eastern Conference with nine points, three wins in their first four games. It's a great start for the Revs. You know, this is uh, really kind of the the dream start for this team. You know, John John Veneziano and I, you know, talked about that weeks ago on the podcast that you know, this is a team that had to deal with a lot of just kind of extra stuff at the start of last season. And, you know, it was hard to stay focused on MLS, you know, with the other competitions the Revs were playing in. But now I think it's, you focus on the MLS and the Revs have had a good start. You know, wins in three of their first four, you know, a good win against a quality Nashville team. On Saturday night, you know, following up that bad loss to LAFC last weekend, the Revs bounce back. Great to see Bo get a goal. You know, always a guy that I think certainly has had his injury issues, but when he's healthy and playing the way that he can, you know, I think one of the best strikers in Major League Soccer. So great to see him get on the scoreboard. Um, You know, the Revs, I think, really want to be as dangerous as they possibly can in the attacking third, you know, have as many guys that can finish, as many guys that can put the ball in the back of the net, whether it's Bo, Bobby Wood, you know, Barrero, you know, Revs are without, or were without Carlos Heel um, in this game against Nashville, um, I think did suffer an injury recently, but, you know, kind of not sure about that, but just a great start for this team because I think getting off to a good start just helps you feel better and, you know, gets rid of that anxiety of starting a season like, oh, how are things going to go? So, you know, very pleased with how they've looked defensively. I think they looked really solid um, on Saturday. You know, Petrovic is Petrovic. You know, he's an unbelievable goalie and as John Veneziano has told me uh, multiple times uh, off air that don't be surprised if he uh, does not finish the season with the Revs, you know, certainly is going to get some offer to play overseas um, in the next few months. Uh, So what I'll say is just enjoy him while he's here uh, because he's made a huge difference for this team. Um, And I think defensively they've looked a little bit better um, as well. So, you know, obviously they have have with three clean sheets in their uh, first three wins. So three and one, the Revs are off to a great start. They will travel to DC United on Saturday night. 
7.30, and then the revs in the month of April are uh, at home for four of the five matches. So look for this team to continue to get off to a good start, hoping to make my way down to Gillette at some point this season uh, for a game, but really good early returns uh, for the Revolution. So I think we're going to move on, talk a little bit about NFL free agency. You know, I thought about this earlier. I don't think I'm going to go through and name every single free agent move in the NFL, but um, I'll go through some teams and kind of look at, you know, some interesting free agent additions. Uh, So I'll start in the AFC East. The Buffalo Bills bringing back a couple of key players, Matt Milano and Jordan Poyer. The Dolphins obviously signing uh, Mike White to a two-year deal, re-signed a trio of running backs, uh, Miles Gaskin, Raheem Mostert, and Jeff Wilson. Um, they also made the trade for Jalen Ramsey, which I think we previously ta- previously talked about. You know, it definitely uh, an, uh, uh, an attempted home run move. Kind of curious to see how much Jalen Ramsey has left. Did not really have a good year last year in L.A., so... You know, yeah, be curious to see how he does. Uh, Jake Bailey obviously uh, signed with them as well. Patriots had released him. Um, so the Patriots are certainly going to be looking for um, a new punter, possibly, in the draft. Obviously, the Jets have made a lot of headlines, as Aaron Rodgers has stated that it's his intention to play for the Jets this season. So we'll see if there's a trade being worked out at some point. Jets did bring in Alan Lazard, uh, brought in Chuck Clark in a in a, in a trade. At AFC North. Take a look at the uh, Browns or Bengals, excuse me, as they uh, came to terms with Orlando Brown, free agent offensive tackle from the Chiefs. So they bring him, bring him in. The Browns. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson they brought brought in, uh, and uh, Juan Thornhill, uh, which was, I think, a potential Patriots target. Uh, safety, free safety is also a spot that the Patriots do need to address. Uh, Taylor Rapp, I believe, was in for a visit last week, so the Patriots could be bringing him in. I think he'd be a good uh, person to slot in for McCourty. The Steelers, um, I think, just last night agreed to terms with Isaac Sayamalo, who's offensive lineman for the Eagles last season. Cole Holcomb and Landon Roberts, both linebackers. Uh, Patrick Peterson also agreeing to terms with the Steelers. The Ravens, Trayvon Mullen, Justice Hill re-signed. Lamar Jackson, still really no uh, news on that. AFC South, the Texans. Fairly busy, you know, bringing in Robert Woods. They traded Brandon Cooks the other day to the Cowboys. Laramie Tunsil got a new contract. They brought in Shaq Mason in the trade um, and also signed Sheldon Rankins and Jimmy Ward. Uh, the Colts bringing in Gardner Minshew on a one-year deal. Um, 
giving Matt Gay a four-year deal. So, yeah, there's a kicker that's getting paid. Oh, a special teams player getting paid money. What what kind of sorcery is this? <laughs> the Jaguars um, putting the non-exclusive franchise tag on Evan Ingram, so he's back. Uh, the Titans, a couple of, or Andre Dillard signed a, a deal. They re-signed uh, Nick Westbrook-Akine, one of their wide receivers. Um, Aziz Al-Shair was brought in on a one-year deal, played for the 49ers last year. Uh, the Broncos, take a look at some of their... Um, so their free agent moves, uh, signing Samaje Pirine, uh, signing former Patriots draft pick uh, Jarrett Stidham to a two-year deal. Uh, Chris Manhurts tight end with Jacksonville last year. Um, they also spent a good amount of money in their offensive line, bringing in Ben Powers and Mike McGlinchey. The Chiefs bringing in Jawan Taylor. A big deal for him. They also signed safety Mike Edwards. Uh, the Raiders, pretty active. What they did, obviously, signing uh, Jacoby Myers. They also signed Philip Dorsett. A uh, couple former Patriot receivers there. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, another former Patriot, uh, signing a three-year deal to presumably be the Raiders' starting quarterback. Um, so, some moves there. The Chargers re-signing a number of their own guys. Uh, Trey Pipkins, an offensive lineman. Morgan Fox, a defensive lineman. Um, Eric Kendricks, they signed after he was released in the Vikings. Oh, and they re-signed their own punter. Oh, oh, another another special teams player. <laughs> the, uh, the Cowboys, um, obviously putting the franchise tag on Tony Pollard. They re-signed Leighton Vander Esch and Donovan Wilson made the trades for uh, Brandon Cooks and Stephon Gilmore. The Giants uh, franchise tagging Saquon Barkley obviously agreed to terms with Daniel Jones. Signed a couple of their uh, current receivers, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton. They also signed uh, Paris Campbell on a one-year deal and brought in Darren Waller in a trade. So, there's a Giants offense that uh, could look pretty good next year. I'm excited to see what they uh, look like. I'm sure Eric Bellier is super excited with the uh, additions that they've made. Oh, and the, the Giants re-signed their punter. Goodness gracious, all these, all these special teams guys getting paid. You know, th this is crazy. <laughs> the Eagles uh, bringing back Boston Scott, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Ingram, Fletcher Cox. Um, there's a, I think they had at some point released Darius Slay, but then they actually came to terms with him. So he's back, as is James Bradbury. Uh, they also brought in Rashad Penny on a one-year deal um, and Marcus Mariota as a backup. The Commanders bringing in Jacoby Brissett, um, Andrew Wiley, offensive lineman for the, the Chiefs. So I think I'm just going to go through and go through some major moves, um, and then we'll move on. I'm realizing I'm taking a lot of time with this. Uh, the Bears and the Panthers obviously made the trade with um, the Panthers receiving the number one pick 
and the Bears getting the number nine pick, a second rounder this year, a first rounder next year, and then a second rounder in 2025. Um, the Bears also received DJ Moore, uh, Robert Tanyan. They signed Tremaine Edmonds. They gave him a big deal. Uh, the Detroit Lions, very interesting group that they're putting together, uh, especially defensively. David Montgomery, they signed uh, running back to a three-year deal, and then defensively, they signed uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson and Cameron Sutton, a couple of solid defensive backs there. So let's go through any of the major moves. Obviously, Johnny Smith traded to uh, the Falcons. Falcons signed Jesse Bates. Uh, the Panthers coming to terms with uh, Miles Sanders, Adam Thielen, and Hayden Hurst. So a couple pieces there, and Andy Dalton. The Saints, obviously the signing of Derek Carr. Also brought in Jawan, uh, Jamal Williams. The Bucks bringing in Baker Mayfield. Uh, re-signed Jamel Dean and Levante David. The Cardinals bringing back Calvin Beecham um, and Matt Prater. A free agent special teamer. How 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 dare they re-sign a, a free agent kicker? <laughs> 49ers bringing in Sam Darnold. Kind of an interesting move there. Brought back a couple of their defensive linemen. Or no, excuse me. Bringing they brought in Javon Hargrave, who played for the uh, Eagles last year, re-signed to Sean Gibson. And the Seahawks coming to terms with uh, Devin Bush and Julian Love also re-signed Geno Smith. So, yeah, a lot of free agent moves. Um, and, yeah, I think we've covered all the major free agent moves. So we're going to move on. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, NHL, realizing that it's uh, been a long episode. But, hey, we got a lot of stuff to get to. So, you know. Uh, stay, stay, stay with me if you're still listening. <laughs> Some headlines from the NHL: The Buffalo Sabers uh, agreeing to terms with former Northeastern goalie Devin Levi uh, on a three-year deal. Um, the Rangers with six goals in the first period last night in a seven-nothing win that set a franchise record for goals in, the first, in a period. Uh, some of the games on the NHL schedule tonight, uh, 7 o'clock on NHL Network, Florida and Detroit. <clears throat> 7 o'clock. Also, Ottawa and Pittsburgh, uh, 9 o'clock. Chicago, Calgary, 9.30. San Jose, Edmonton, 10.30. Calgary and Los Angeles. So we'll take a look um, at some of the standings, you know, mentioning the Bruins in there. You know, quest for the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They're currently uh, 13 points clear of the Carolina Hurricanes. So it may just be a matter of time before they get that uh, number one seed. Bruins are 18 points clear of the Toronto Maple Leafs for first place in the Atlantic. Tampa Bay is in third place, three points behind Toronto. Toronto does have two games in hand. Uh, Carolina, first place in the Metro, 
one point over the Devils. They have two games in hand. Um, then the Rangers are in third with 92 points. And then the wild card spots, the Islanders with the first spot and the Penguins with the second with Florida just one point back. So things could get interesting in the East. You know, obviously this will be worth paying attention to because the Bruins will play that second wild card team. So, you know, it looks like at the moment you have the Islanders, the Penguins, and the Panthers, you know, in play for that, you know, could be an outside possibility that a team like Washington or Buffalo catches them, but I'd be surprised. So, you know, be paying attention to that, see a potential first-round opponent uh, for the Bruins. In the Western Conference, uh, Dallas, Minnesota, and Colorado lead the Central 89, 88, and 86 points, respectively. Uh, Vegas leads the Pacific with 92 points. They've started to get hot again. The Kings are in second with 90 points, and the Oilers in third with 86 in the wild card spots, you have Seattle in that first spot and Winnipeg in that second spot. Calgary is four points behind that final wild card spot, and Nashville is five points behind with three games in hand on Winnipeg. So I think we're going to move to the NBA. Take a look at some of the games tonight. 7 o'clock starts Indiana and Charlotte, Chicago and Philadelphia. It is that time of year where we're starting to uh, root for root for teams to lose. So, yeah, rooting hard for the Bulls tonight as they play the Sixers. Uh, 7.30, Minnesota and the Knicks. 8 o'clock, Golden State and Houston. 8 o'clock on NBA TV, Dallas and Memphis. And then 9 o'clock, Sacramento and Utah. Take a look at some of the standard. Take a look at the standings. Celtics, you know, as we mentioned, uh, tied for second place with the Sixers. Although I think the Sixers are ahead of the Celtics based on win percentage. Um, so the Bucks in first, obviously, and then the Sixers and the Celtics both two and a half games back of first place. Cleveland in fourth. So no, there's not really much of a danger if Cleveland's seven games behind. First place, there probably isn't a danger the Celtics fall into fourth place. But, you know, very important, like I said, I think to get home court at least for the first two rounds. Uh, so Cleveland's in fourth. Knicks are in fifth. The Nets are in sixth. And then in the play-in positions, the Heat in seventh. Hawks in eighth. Raptors in ninth. And the Bulls in tenth with Indiana and Washington a game and a half back of that final play-in spot. In the Western Conference, Denver in first, four-game lead over Sacramento and Memphis. Celtics going to Sacramento tomorrow night. Uh, Denver has clinched their division. I don't really know what the point of that is, but uh, Celtics and Bucks actually have clinched playoff spots in the Eastern Conference, so I would assume Denver's clinched a playoff spot. Um, so Kings in second, Grizzlies in third. Um... The Kings have a tiebreaker over the Grizzlies because um, they have the same record. So they're in second, Grizzlies in third, Suns in fourth, Clippers in fifth, Mavericks in sixth, and then in the play-in spots, the Warriors seventh, Thunder eighth, Timberwolves ninth, and the Lakers tenth with the Jazz um, even. 
in that play-in spot, and the Pelicans are just a half game back. So we'll take a look at some um, news from the uh, World Baseball Classic. Uh, Team USA dominating last night and advancing to the championship. That score was 14-2 last night. Team USA beat Cuba. And then uh, the other semifinals tonight at 7 o'clock, Mexico and Japan. Um, and then Team USA will take on the winner on Tuesday night, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock on FS1, if that interests you. Um, I think now we're going to get to some tournament talk. Uh, yeah, stay, stay, stay with me. We're, we're going, going kind of long here, but uh, as I said, lots to get to today. So uh, take a look at the tournament field for the men. You know, I think uh, take a quick look bracket by bracket. Uh, really the surprising, we're starting the South. Um, Alabama all the way is already through, or Alabama is through the Sweet 16. A couple blowout wins. Not too much of a, a challenge for them. Um, obviously, the major upsets, um, Arizona going down, Virginia going down. In the first round, Furman and Princeton beating them. Uh, Princeton actually won their second round game against 7th ranked Missouri, so they are through to the Sweet 16. They will play against Creighton, beat Baylor last night, uh, beat NC State in the first round. Um, so Alabama is through to play San Diego State. Both of those games are on Friday night on TBS. Both of those games are in, I can't remember the, the site, the South Region site. Oh, it's Louisville. So both of those games in Louisville. The Midwest bracket, uh, not too much. Not too much crazy in this bracket as Pitt and Penn State uh, pulled off first-round upsets, but they both lost in the second round. These games are also on Friday at Friday night on CBS, first-ranked Houston uh, through to the Sweet 16. They will take on Miami, and then Xavier will take on Texas at uh, both of those games uh, Friday night. And both of those games are in believe those are in Kansas City. Yes, they are. Um, so now, getting to the East bracket, this is also a, you know, a fairly wild bracket, as obviously uh, Fairleigh Dickinson taking down Purdue, the second 16 seed to ever win a game in the tournament. So they uh, went through to the second round, lost to Florida Atlantic last night, but a tremendous tournament for Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, so uh, Florida Atlantic will take on Tennessee. They survived against Louisiana in the first round and then beat Duke in the second round, so they will play. That game is Thursday night uh, in New York City. And then Kansas State through to the Sweet 16, beat Kentucky, beat Kentucky yesterday. Uh, Michigan State also beat uh, Marquette yesterday, uh, so that another number two seed goes down. Uh, so Michigan State beat Marquette 69-60. to 60. Uh, Kansas State, Michigan State will be on Thursday night as well. And then the only uh, local team, if you want to call them that, uh, the Yukon Huskies, they are through to the Sweet 16, beating 
Iona and St. Mary's in the first two rounds. Um, Arkansas pulling the upset of Kansas on Saturday, so they are through the Sweet 16. So Arkansas-UConn Thursday night on CBS, and then Gonzaga and UCLA, a matchup that I think a lot of people, including Matt and myself, were hoping that that will happen, and it will. Thursday night, CBS, third-ranked Gonzaga, second-ranked UCLA, both of those teams uh, getting through to the Sweet 16. So, obviously, things are pretty crazy in the tournament, as they always are. Uh, Two number one seeds remain, Alabama and Houston, so the games begin again on Thursday night. So we'll take a look at the uh, women's bracket. Been some pretty crazy things in the women's bracket. Uh, I believe that uh, Stanford went down yesterday. Ole Miss beat them 54-49, to so Ole Miss, uh, Virginia Tech, Iowa, South Carolina, LSU, Utah, Notre Dame, and Maryland are all through to the Sweet 16. There are uh, more second-round games tonight. So we'll take a look at some of those games. Uh, we'll start in the Greenville 1 bracket. South Carolina, the number one overall seed, and undefeated. They are already through to the Sweet 16. They will take on the winner of Oklahoma and UCLA. They play tonight at 10. In the Greenville 2 bracket, you have a top seed Indiana, ninth-ranked Miami. Uh, that's at 8 o'clock tonight. 12th-ranked Florida Gulf Coast against 4th-ranked Villanova. They play at 7 o'clock um, in the Seattle 4 region, where Ole Miss pulls the upset of Stanford. They will take on Louisville or Texas that game tonight at 7. Uh, Colorado and Duke will play tonight at 9 with the right to play Utah in the, or, uh, Iowa with the right to play Iowa in the Sweet 16. Uh, Baylor and UConn play tonight at 9 o'clock. North Carolina, Ohio State play at 4. Winners will play in the Sweet 16. That's in the Seattle 3 region. And Virginia Tech already through the Sweet 16. And they will take on the winner of Toledo and Tennessee tonight at 6 o'clock. So already have one number one seed down in the women's bracket, two of them down in the men's bracket. Both, both final fours in the state of Texas, the women's final four in Dallas, and the men's final four in Houston. So I think that's going to do it for me this week. Uh, great to be back. Had a lot of stuff. Had a lot of stuff to get through. Uh, thanks if you made it this long. Um, and as always, you can check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and then follow our social pages on Twitter and Facebook uh, for the latest updates. So we will uh, talk with you folks on Friday.